my college degree is in psychology. And so I got to take experimental psychology and experiments and things like that are kind of intriguing to me. This is not a psychology experiment per se, but there was a study done by IKEA of all people testing the effect of words on houseplants. They called it the uh, bullying plants study, I think it was. Anyways, they were studying the effects of your words on whether it helps plants grow better or not. And uh, the study shows that those who speak encouraging words to plants have their plants grow much more than those who speak demeaning words to their plants. Uh, why that is, they don't exactly know. They don't know if uh, certain frequencies help stimulate the plants more, or just, you know, if you're speaking nice to the plant, you're more likely to take better care of it. It was undecided, but the results were conclusive. And there are other studies like that about how music and different types of music have effects on plant growth, etc. But I found that interesting. And I was thinking about it this week as we are looking at our passage this morning, because this morning we are thinking about the effects of words and really what our words are supposed to be like as people who have been changed by God. We remember that as Christians, we truly have been changed, that we are different, right? We are no longer defined as sinners, but we're defined as saints. We still sin. We still have sin that clings to us, the Bible tells us, but that's not really our primary identifier now we are holy. We're declared righteous. We are the people of God. And so we truly have been changed. And because we have been changed, because our hearts have been changed when we ask God to forgive us, when we commit our lives to following him, he really changes us. That means not only is our inside change, but our, our actions change as well. And they should change, right? We, we read how a good tree produces good fruit. And so if our hearts have been changed and made new. We should bear fruit. And that affects our words as we see this morning in this passage. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 30. This is Ephesians 4, starting in verse 29. The word of the Lord says this, Ephesians 4, verse 29 and 30. Let no, corrupt talk, no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Amen. May God bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. And so this passage is, again, very straightforward. We've seen this in these verses that they really follow this pattern of things we're not supposed to do, uh, how we're supposed to be different because we're made new. So things we're not supposed to do, things we are supposed to do. And then it tells us why. It tells us the thinking behind it. And we continue to see that pattern this morning in these verses. You could sum it up like this. No bad words, only good words, 
And we do that in order to give grace and not grieve the Spirit. So no bad words, only good words, because we want to give grace and not grieve the Spirit. And so we see that at the very beginning when we think about these no bad words. That would be my, uh, my literal translation. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That's the ESV version. But that word corrupting is used a couple other places in the Bible, and it's used when the Bible talks about good trees bearing good fruit and bad trees bearing bad fruits, right? That's the word bad. So it's, it's getting at this idea of like rotten fruits or uh, rotten fish or diseased trees producing diseased fruit. That's the idea behind this word of corrupting talk or bad words, so to speak. It's not just language that is coarse or foul, but it is really this kind of diseased talk, so to speak, that spreads disease, right? You think about uh, that time of year right now of people getting sick. Uh, it's ran through my family a little bit. You probably have friends or relatives that have experienced it or kids in school. And right, when you're around someone who's sick, uh, they can spread that to you by breathing around you, right? And so you don't want them to really be that close or to breathe that close, be around you, so to speak. Well, we're reminded in these verses that the same is true with our words, that we can spread this kind of sickness of, that eats away at us, that corrodes, corrupts, that tears down. Our words can do that to each other. And our spiritual life is really not that different from the physical in that sense that disease can be spread through something we say. It can hurt someone's health on the inside, so to speak. It can affect your soul and spread rottenness and disease. And when you get to the spiritual side of life, as we think about what words do, we remember in this passage that Christians... Christians should never speak like this. Never. It says, let none of these come out of your mouth. You may think these words, but shut your mouth, put the, close the gates, don't let them go out of your mouth, even if you think these things. Don't let it proceed out of your mouth. There's never an appropriate time for these kinds of words to be spoken. Uh, you can kind of hear in that, in that verse even this, famous saying, right? If you don't have anything good to say, then don't say anything at all. Well, that's kind of the principle that we see here in this verse. And it reminds us really of the, the self-control we need when we speak. We must have self-control in what we say. And, you know, sometimes there's a stereotype of uh, people getting older and maybe being a little more loose in what they say, right? There's the, sometimes the grumpy old man stereotype. There's the, the speaking their minds, you know. There's less filter as you get older, things like this, right? You know the stereotype. Uh, but it's not just something you deal with when you get older. It's something that we have to deal with all the time. We must have self-control all the time in what we say, right? There are good things that come from speaking our minds. But there are bad things that can come from it, too. And so the Bible, 
The Bible really never gives us an excuse for our words. Like, oh, that's just how I am, or, you know, I'm just speaking my mind. The Bible says, no, never let these words come out of your mouth. Do not speak them. They are going to hinder growth and not promote growth and goodness in the other person. And James reminds us of the importance of that self-control, right? It remind, James reminds us, if we are self-controlled in our words, we, we're perfect, we're complete. Uh, and he reminds us that <laughs> we stumble in what we say and we need that self-control. We need to bridle our words. And so we see that in this passage. We read that in our passage this morning from the scripture reading in Matthew 15, that our words show us a window into our souls. And so if we have these kind of words coming out of our mouths, not just, again, not just foul language, but words that may be demeaning or breaking people down, that don't fit the occasion, so to speak. These kind of words show us a window into our soul that there are still ways we need to grow in our walk with the Lord, that we have not yet matured to the point we need to be. We can look at our words and how we speak and what we speak to see where do I still need to grow in my Christian life. And so this verse tells us, no bad words, no rotten words. But it also tells us what to do. So don't do this, but do this. Only speak good words. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is proper or only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. And so only good words, only such as is good. And you see it there in this verse, right? We get a definition of what are these good words. If you want a definition, what does it mean to speak good words? You could look at this verse and you could see it means you're saying things that fit the occasion and things that build up. That's what a good word is. What fits the occasion, what builds up. It's not just that you shouldn't be saying mean or harsh things, but you have to say it at the right time as well. Uh, we remember the proverb, right? A word fittingly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Proverbs 25, 11. The, the timing matters. And when we speak a good word in a good time, how good it is. It is good to hear that. It is good for the person we're speaking it to, right? It is good. It builds up. And it's not just, right, that the words we saying need to be good, but they need to be said at the right time. The literal words you may be saying may be good. They may be fine. They may not be harsh or demeaning or anything else. It just may be the wrong time. And we can probably all think of examples personally or examples of someone who said something to us that hey, really probably was not a good time to say that, right? Even if they meant well, even if they were, you know, not saying mean things, uh, but timing matters. And we see this in the life of Jesus. This is fascinating to think about. Jesus, literally the only thing Jesus ever said was good words. And yet he said good words at the right time, in the right way. It's not just the things he was saying, but it was when he was saying them. It fit the occasion every single time. And that's amazing to think about. He, he left things unsaid. Again, everything he said would be good, but he still knew there were things that I needed to leave unsaid in this moment. 
We read about that in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was crucified. Jesus told the disciples. He still had many things to say to them, but he didn't say all of those things right then. Why? Because it didn't fit the occasion. They still had much to learn, much they needed to hear, but they couldn't bear them right then. They could not bear those things right then. And so we may have a lot of good to say to someone, true things, good things that would be helpful, but it may not be something they can bear right then. And that's something we need to think about as we seek to speak these good words, saying the right thing at the right time, trying to give grace and build up. So fittingly spoken, words that fit the occasion, and then words that are building up. Right? That's the other definition of what are good words. They fit the occasion, they build up. And so the Bible really gives us a lot of insight in this chapter in Ephesians about words. If you think about it, you could look back to verse 15 and see how it talks about speaking the truth in love and how that builds each other up in the church. And really, if you just follow that building metaphor, you can think if you want a strong church, then the words we say matter right? The words we say are really the method God uses to build up his church. Uh, we sang this morning about the words that God speaks, his word, that those are the words that build us up as Christians. And as we speak those words, we also get to share in that joy of building each other up as well. And so if we want to know if this thing that I'm thinking in my head is something I should be saying, is something good to say, we think, does it fit the occasion? Is it going to build someone up? If it doesn't fit that criteria, then it's just probably not helpful in that moment, and we should wait and not say it. Uh, and you can apply this to all areas of life, right? You think about teaching. Just in the classroom, if you're teaching math, you know that phrase from Jesus well. There are some things that you need to know that you cannot bear right now. Uh, as he said to the disciples, right? As people learn math, you don't start with, you don't even start with algebra. You start with the basics. You start with counting. You start with then addition, subtraction, as they get older, to multiplication and division and all these things, right? But there's a process to it. You can't speak it all at once. Because what happens if you do that, if you begin to load things onto people before they can bear it, Usually it either leads to discouragement or this is not really my thing, I don't like math, things like that, right? And that's, uh, that really has an effect on people's trajectory. But vice versa, if you are teaching well, right? Uh, we can think of the teachers we loved who were great. They, they gave us a love for the subjects, a love for learning because they, they knew what to say in that moment. Uh, how to not only teach us, but how to know what we needed to, to point us in the right direction, something that fit the occasion and was building us up in that moment, right? So you can apply that to all teaching situations as we, uh, as we teach Sunday schools. If you're a Sunday school teacher, whether kids or adults or any age, right, we want to think, what do I need to say in this moment? Not just to say what's true, but what fits the occasion? What do the people need to hear? How can I build them up? Where are they at? And how can I help them grow closer to the Lord in what I'm saying? Right? This is what teachers do. This is what really the mindset we all have as we think about these things. 
what fits the occasion, what will help build up. We take those concepts, we put them into any situation. We see those concepts here in the Bible, here in these verses. And as we think about that, we remember the one caveat, right? That we can say, we can say the right thing at the right time. Like, it is possible to do. God tells us to do it. We can do it. But even if we do that, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that something's going to change in the other person. It doesn't guarantee that they will automatically grow closer to the Lord or mature or be willing to hear what we have to say. But God tells us to be faithful, and this is what we need to do. And we, we pray and we trust him with the results that we we plant, we water the seed, God gives the increase as we remember in his word. So that's our intent, that's what we're aiming for. We want to build up, we want to speak a word that fits the occasion. And all of this is with the intent that we want to give grace to people, right? We speak these words so that we may give grace. We see it in this verse, uh, verse 29 only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it, the words we speak, may give grace to those who hear. That's ultimately behind our motivation, our mindset behind the words we speak. We want to give grace to people. And as we think about that word grace, it's good to just remember that this comes from the character of God, that this is what God is like with us. We remember really the, the clearest example is with God sending his son. That this is not something we deserved. It's not something we earned. That's what grace is. It's, it's not earned. It's not merited. But it's just something that flows out of God's character. It's who he is. He is gracious. He is giving. He is good. And he sends Jesus to die on the cross for our sins while we're still sinners. That's the, the example of grace. The prime example we see in the Bible. And then as we look at the life of Jesus, we see his life is full of grace and truth. Like he is the literal embodiment of what grace looks like. And so as we think about that, if we, if we think about our words, how can I be more gracious in my words? It's good to think about how we can read the Bible. We can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we can study what is Jesus saying? How is he saying it? When is he saying it? It's good to pay attention to because that's, that is an example to us. What do gracious words look like? And so we see that in this verse that we're supposed to imitate God with what we speak. And we need to just pause and say, it's amazing what this verse says. We can actually give grace to people by the words we say. That's what this verse is talking about. It's not just uh, being nice, uh, being helpful. The Bible says we actually give grace to people when we speak like God wants us to speak. That as inadequate and unable as we often view ourselves and our words, that God actually works through our words as we speak these good words. And he imparts grace to people, goodness to people through what we say. We have an amazing opportunity in the words we say to give grace, to actually impact people in what we say in this way, to, to follow the example of God, 
so that in the words we speak, people will see the grace of God. We've experienced that ourselves. We want other people to experience it, and we can help them experience and see a picture of it by speaking this way. That's an amazing thought to think about. We strive to give grace with our words. That's our motivation. It's not our only motivation, though, in these verses. We see that's, you could say that's our motivation behind speaking good words. We want to give grace. What's our motivation between behind not speaking these bad and rotten words is that we do not want to grieve the Spirit. We see that in verse 30. Uh, verse 30 should, I think, be connected with this idea of words in verse 29. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so when we speak these these bad words, these rotten words, these unhealthy words that don't build up, that break down, that don't fit the occasion, so to speak, then we actually grieve God. We grieve the Holy Spirit. There's lots of things to think about with that. One, uh, one thing to think about is that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. That, that affects our, our understanding of who God is. Right? The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. We can grieve him, right? This, this is the idea. These are the ideas that remind us that God is not just God the Father and God the Son, but he's a holy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, and we have a relationship with him. He dwells in us right now as Christians, and the words we say can grieve him. Just like other relationships we have, the words we say can grieve our spouse, they can grieve our children. The words we say can grieve the Holy Spirit in us. And so we remember this, that we have this relationship with the Holy Spirit. And just like God is grieved, we read that in the Old Testament at the flood, God was grieved by the sin of people, that their hearts were continually set on evil thoughts. And he sends the flood. That's Genesis 6, 6. Mark, Mark chapter 3, 5, we see Jesus is grieved, right? He was uh, angry that the people were upset about him healing on the Sabbath. And he was also grieved at their hardness of heart. So also we see in this verse that the Holy Spirit is grieved. The Holy Spirit expresses the same emotions as the other parts of God. That he is grieved when we speak with these rotten words to each other that we have this relationship with God. And it really gets us to the reason why God gives us the Holy Spirit. Why is the Holy Spirit grieved by our words? Right? Why is it that Paul, writing this, makes this connection to the Spirit here? Right? The Holy Spirit would be grieved when we do any sin. When we're not walking in the Spirit, but we're walking in this flesh, right? we would assume that. But why is it that Paul is connecting the grief of the Spirit to our words and what we say? It's because the Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. So think about what that means. That means that God has started a work in us. He's changed us. And he's promised to complete it. Right? We see that promise in the Bible. And we know that promise is true. The down payment of that promise is that we receive the Spirit. If we have the Spirit, we know that God will complete this work in us. He will carry us through to that day, that future day of full redemption. 
where our bodies are renewed, we are with the Lord completely, that the Holy Spirit guarantees that, so to speak. But it's not just that the Holy Spirit guarantees that we will experience that day. The Holy Spirit is given to us so that we will be prepared for that day as well, so that we will be growing now to be more fitted for the Lord, that we will be a holy bride for him when he comes. We read even in Ephesians, if you look back to chapter 2, verse 22, that by the Spirit, we are being built together into a dwelling place for God. And that's verse 22 in chapter, 20, in chapter 2. And so we see the Spirit is at work preparing us for that day of redemption. Not just guaranteeing we'll get there, but making us holy, making us uh, more fitted so that we would be a holy temple that God dwells in when he comes. And that means uh, that he's building us up. That's the language we see in verse 22. So that's the connection in Paul's mind, I think. He sees that the Spirit is given by God to build us up to make us better, to make us look more like Jesus, to be a fitted, a holy temple for him. And then here, Paul is talking about these words that don't build up. So it's the exact opposite of why God has even given us the Spirit, the purpose of the Spirit. The Spirit's trying to build us up. It's trying to make us look more like Jesus, walk in holiness. But we say words that don't build up, and it's completely against what the Spirit is trying to do. It's kind of like when... You clean your house, and someone makes a mess, like, right after you clean it. Have you ever had that experience? Uh, you know, you get upset about it. You're like, I just cleaned this. I got to go clean it again. It's counterproductive, right? Uh, you just can't avoid it. Things get messy. That's just the life we live in. We are always cleaning. We are always rebuilding until the day Jesus comes back, right? But that's kind of what the Spirit goes through. He's building the temple. He's building this beautiful, holy temple to the Lord. And here we come and we speak words that aren't building up. We're, we're tearing it down. We're, we're corroding it. We're eating away with it. We're, we're making a mess of the temple of God with our words. And that grieves the Spirit. That's what we read here. And so that's why this instruction is here, that we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and He is at work. And he is working for our good to make us look more like Jesus. And so we are told, don't counteract that. Don't go against that. Line your life up with that. Speak the words that will build up, not the words that don't edify. Because that is really what the Spirit is here in our lives to do, is to build us up, to build up the whole body of Christ. And so we must not grieve the Spirit. Our words matter. God really does give us the ability to give grace through our words, to build people up through our words, to say, to say the right thing at the right time. That is amazing. And so we must strive for that, strive to have control of our tongues, to, to not introduce sickness or rottenness with our words, to not grieve the Spirit, but that every word out of our mouth would fit the occasion and would build up. God, make us more like that. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we pray that you will continue to work in us by your Spirit. Lord, we thank you that this is the trajectory we are set on, that you are making us into people who speak these good words, that are focused on what is good for the other person to build them up, that are focused on uh, fitting the occasion, 
We thank you that you empower us through the Spirit. You give us the example of Jesus that you have changed us to be this kind of person through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we might be changed, truly changed to be like this. Lord, continue to sanctify us in our words, to bridle our tongue, to not say words that we shouldn't, but beyond that, to be thinking, what is good in this situation? How can I help in this situation? What is building up and what is fitting right now? Lord, make us better in that. We need that. I need that. And I pray that we will grow in this, that we would be the beautiful temple of the Lord, shining bright and holy on display as we display your glory, the one dwelling in us. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.